Welcome to Pro Audio Profiles. My name is Brendan Decora, and each week I'll be hosting different guests, mainly engineers and producers, but also people from across the industry. Enjoy the show. On this week's show, we have Greg Townley. He's an engineer, mixer, and producer who's been working a lot with film trailers. He's done trailers for films such as Dune, Star Wars, Avengers, the list goes on and on. Enjoy. Thank you so much, first and foremost, for being here. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Awesome. Nice to see you, Brendan. Definitely. Um, I'd like to start off by, uh, if you could share your backstory, how you got to where you are, you know, all that kind of stuff. From the way beginning? As far as you want, yeah. <laughs> and you can take some time. Like yeah. this, this can be 15 minutes if no, you want. No, it's, yeah. it's all right. I started when I was 17. I think okay. I got my first job at 17. Nice. Um, it was at a studio called Sunwest Recording Studios, which is like long ago, yeah. not existing at all. Right. Where, it was, it where was, was in this? Hollywood. Okay. Yeah, I'm born and raised here. Okay. So I just started there. I was a second engineer for just a few months. Mm-hmm. And then I started firsting right away by 18, something Damn. like that. I just, I ended up going to a studio. They fired their engineer two weeks after I got there or something. And, nice. uh, yeah. <laughs> and they, um, yeah, I just sort of stepped into the seat because I yeah. just said yes to everything. You right. know? Yeah. Um, I recorded my first symphony at 21 years old. Nice. At Warner Brothers. Nice. I had no business doing that. <laughs> Whatsoever at Warner Brothers, at Warner, was your first yeah, one. like they said, "Hey, do you want to record an orchestra?" I went, "Yeah, <laughs> totally." What stuff were you doing before that? Just kind of bands and whatever. Or? Yeah, bands. I did a little bit of, um, I did a little bit live sound in those in those first okay. early days. I did some Playboy jazz monitors, right. uh, Long Beach Blues Festival. Oh, nice. Did monitors worked house sound at like the Palace Theater. I did a lot okay. of like in my early twenties, okay. and then I. I landed, and then I realized that, that I wasn't cut out for that. I didn't, right? You know, yeah, it's it a really whole different is a, can of worms. Man, yeah. it's those are very strong, very smart people, and very capable people. <laughs> yeah. You know, and they work yeah. very hard. Yeah. Um, but I just kind of fell into recording in studios and mm-hmm. doing rock bands and punk. And you didn't? There was no school. You didn't go to school or that. I went How to school you... for ten weeks. Ten weeks. Okay. When I was, yeah, like seventeen years old. Okay. So, and but I dropped out to start working. Right. I just didn't complete the. I like went to right. one little section of the course yeah. and just <laughs> started working. Cool. Um, and then I just uh, kept doing like I did a lot of festivals and then did live sounded clubs and then just realized that the studio was just way more creative right. and just better fit for me. I just. Yeah. You know, you only get one shot, and there's just some really radical things that happen yes. <laughs> in the live environment. Yes, absolutely. It's just like you have to be you have to be bulletproof, man. Right, right. You know, my you biggest have to thing have... is you can't hit rewind if you fuck up. Like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know what I mean? those guys are so badass. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and then I just I started um, after that first um, orchestra thing. I started gravitating towards. You know, just doing, I just got calls like, right. can you do this? Can, you know, I got in the union when I was a teenager wow. and they just started like, hey, can, and I just went, yes. And I, I don't know whether I just hung a bunch, couple of 57s <laughs> over that first orchestra <laughs> or not. Like, I have no idea what I did. Um, 
Awesome. Honestly, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, but I just started like doing like television and and did a lot of television shows and mm-hmm. orchestra scoring and and things like that. Um, nice. And then you know lots of movies and right. I think that I just started you know mixing in a way I wish I had like an apprenticeship. Okay. You know, I, yeah. I just didn't. Right. So I was just fired from a hundred jobs. <laughs> I was just fired from a hundred jobs right. and, or a thousand, I don't even know. Uh, it's just because I just said yes to everything. Yeah. And, and I learned the best I could. And mm. I mean, I learned things from, you know, very prominent mixers. And right. I just not even learned things like firsthand, just like with this little thing mm. and this one little bit, but then I just sort of developed my own. Right. Which is not totally different than most people, but it's yeah. it's pretty, it's a little bit wild. Right. It's a little, you but know. You never like was an assistant at a scoring stage to see how people did it or anything no. like that. Yeah. No, huh. I just was, you know, and, and I'm, <laughs> you know, I walked into situations is, you know, in my, in my early to mid twenties of just being in charge being a mixer, because I had gotten in the union when I was 18. Right. And I was just like a mixer in front of these orchestras, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I, but I really, you know, I cared about it so much, but it was just the only thing that I had ever done, right. you know. And, but I just cared about doing, I would like kind of try and find and, you know, if I got hired for something obscure, mm-hmm. you know, and we would go to record rooms all over town in Los Angeles because I was right. born here and, I'd take, you know, do television shows and movies in these record rooms, which was just, you know, you'd show up sometimes, you know, an hour before the, a a giant, you know, 20 piece big band or Mm -hmm. something with full tape machines and lockups and all this. And there'd be like one mic cable standing in the middle of the room. You're like, (laughs) wait, where's the assistants? Well, they just got out of here the night before. You know? (laughs) What? Oh my God. I got a band showing up in a room full of producers. <laughs> right. um, like, you know, so I just, you know, it's, it, you know, there's been a lot of wild things. Like I've heard people think, I think I heard, you know, people talk about like how important studios are and assistants are, because you right. just rely on them right. so much, yeah. you know, because if you do find yourself showing up, a, you know, a couple hours early and there's just a mic stand in the middle yeah. of the room and you need a full interface, right. every channel console, every channel on the yeah. console, Three or four tape machines, right. video lockup, and old. It's I mean, a lot of go, work. oh god, the things that we had to lock with the things with the. I mean, yeah, yeah it was really the dawn, and yeah. and then also I remember uh, coming up and and being in a studio working on a record project, and this guy showed up. He just got back from Japan. Mm. He set a keyboard in one side of the room, and then he took a cable and he ran it to another keyboard, right, in the other side of the room, huh. and he played this one. And sound came sound out of came that out one. Of there. And we were, it was like, fire! Oh my God! Like, it was like the most unbelievable thing you could right. ever imagine. So, it's a way right. of me saying that, you know, where, when I was working, it was the dawn of MIDI. Right. It was like, literally, like, no one had ever seen wow. this before, you know? That's awesome. And, you know, and the, the same thing with just a couple of things, like, we just have all been doing this, or... We've all, I've been doing this far too long. Um, but, you know, just seeing all these things come along and right. seeing, you know, starting with bands and then going with, you know, electronics mm-hmm. and then, yeah. you know. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. And you, I mean, you did some like music recording, like bands and stuff like that. 
How would that differ between, I mean, obviously it's a big difference between scoring and that, but if you could explain some of the, the Yeah, the no, it's, it's a good question. Uh, I, I always sort of pride myself by saying that I mix orchestras like rock bands because right. I started with punk bands and rock bands. Okay. So there was just this sort of like edge and I started in big rooms, you know, big like basketball courts, recording right. drums and just gigantic rooms that mm -hmm. <laughs> had no business, you know, yeah. uh, recording. They're just not sonically, but the most- I mean, literally a basketball court. Literally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and- you know, and then I just sort of adapted this sort of no net policy. So okay. every time I would do an orchestra, I would sort of do things differently okay. each time. Mm -hmm. And every time I would have a, have a job, I would like try and create something differently. Like, and I remember being on the edge of, uh, you know, I did a movie and I had never seen orchestra scoring with Pro Tools before because we had right. always used tape machines. Right. And... Um, you know, and then I did this job with this movie and I decided to use, I told the composer, I'm going to use Pro Tools. Yeah. And he's like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> and um, so we used Pro Tools, but I, I used an old like UA console, like the 11 channel uh, consoles, yeah, yeah. just to give it some analog, because right. we were so freaked out about <laughs> right. it sounding analog, because right. we didn't want it to sound digital. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so then I was on that sort of cusp of right. when, you know, and, and, and really gnarly situations where Pro Tools would break down, but there was no other Pro Tools rig in town right. kind of thing. jeez. Oh, you know, like really gnarly. Like right. there's, you know, this famous one, famous one in Capital that right. I'm, I'm sure Steve would know about. Yeah. But there was, I, he might've been on it. Um, but I wasn't, it wasn't my session, but it was just, you know, these sort of famous, right. like Pro Tools is down and it. Well, it's crashed and we can't get it back up. Right. And, and you know, um, <laughs> the, or catch the orchestra home. Right. Um, and then I had this uh, thing where I became the first person to put bars and beats for an orchestra, which is okay. this weird sort of claim huh. to fame. And I didn't even realize really? I was the first one, but huh. my friend TJ at the time, who was a really talented piano player and mm -hmm. uh, um, musician, and he just reminded me years later because he knew you were the first person because I just put bars and beats right. in so front of an orchestra around the conductor podium and the orchestra were. panicked. They were like, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing, man? Um, but then after an hour, they're like, oh, right, bar 35. Oh, bar 70. That's they a, could just follow right. on. And so now easy. everywhere in the world that I go and I get to travel, right. they're just right. literally in every single studio in the world yeah. has bars and beats for the orchestra. Yeah. So. That's awesome. That actually ties into some of my next question is a lot of what I like to talk about on the podcast is mm -hmm. how to inspire the artists to get great performances. And that is certainly one of the things, but is mm -hmm. there anything else that you can talk about that, that creates an environment that will help? Obviously it's with session musicians, it's different. It's not like you're dealing with a picky, mm -hmm. you know, artist or something like that, but anything else you can think of that? Yeah. Can do? Uh, I remember doing a punk record many years ago and punk singer, you know, you know, really just hardcore punk band. Mm. And then we put him on a mic. We put him on a, in the studio, He'd never been in the studio before. Right. We put him on a mic mm -hmm. and all of a sudden he started singing like, you know, Vic Damone or Frank Sinatra or something. It was like, <laughs> what? What, you, what happened, man? <laughs> so, you know, you give him a, give him a 58 and put right. him in the control room and crank up the speakers. Um, I've had artists, sort of famous singers that kind of come in and they go and they would say, hello, room full of people. And they mm -hmm. would say, okay, so here's what we're going to do. 
I want you to dim the lights. I want you to burn this incense. Mm-hmm. I would like this kind of water. I want everybody to leave, but except essential personnel. Right. And I want the engineer and producer and everybody just goes and I'll be back in 15 minutes. Right. And so they set their own, you know? Um, and then sometimes you'll have, you know, I try not to get involved too much. Like I try not to put the microphones too close. <laughs> yeah. um, I try not to get it too involved, but, uh, but you just have to make space for them yeah. because they are artists and yeah. it's frightening for some people, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and with these days, it's very, very different. You right. know, it's right. wildly it's, different. Everyone has a studio in their house. And, but not only that, but, yeah. you know, everything can be fixed and repaired and it right. all can take, mm-hmm. you have endless choices. And it's just, when I started in my career, it wasn't like that. Right. Like, you know, it was about the performance and you stayed out of the yeah. way and you, you know, you go out there and you go there hours earlier and, mm-hmm. um, and you go out there hours, hours earlier, and you make sure everything's perfect. And then, you know, you'll get an artist, I had this famous singer of a band mm-hmm. that I idolized when I was a kid. Right. And he showed up, and he's like two hours ahead of time for like one vocal, right? right? And he puts the headphones on. He's like, hello, check, check. I can't hear anything. I can't. What's going on? <laughs> and I went, <gasps> <laughs> So, you know, I pass him, pass him around and try to figure out what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> and awesome. he goes, and... Uh, 10 minutes, you know, a couple minutes go by. Mm-hmm. And then finally I, I go out there and I go, can I just see your headphones? And he goes, oh, just, jo- just joking, mate. <laughs> but, you know, so you just make, so it's just oh, about, I actually, my sessions, um, orchestras are different from, I'm talking about artists right now. Right. Um, orchestras, I have my own way of making it comfortable for the orchestras uh-huh. actually. Um, but individual artists, like you have to, everything has to be, they have to, sing as loud as they can and the yeah. mic doesn't distort. Right. They have to have the lights right. It has to have everything right. in place. It has right. to be a Incense, calm environment. Everything. They got to walk yeah. in and feel safe. Yeah. You know, for artists. Orchestras are a little bit different mm-hmm. to me. Uh, for instance, you know, what I do now, we uh, the orchestra scoring that we do wherever it is in the world is pretty demanding, you mm-hmm. know, from a yeah. musician standpoint. Right. So I try and give them breaks. So I'll have the or- whole orchestra at the same time, but then we, we may play it, you know, as a full pass and then right. let the brass do a pass, let the strings do a pass and everybody gets a break. Okay. Every, right, every right. couple of minutes they get a break mm-hmm. and that makes it, makes space for them. And nice. so they don't have to, they, you know, right. brass players are just, yeah, it's too much. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's different too when, you know, there's, there's, you know, when there's people that are like slave driving, you know, getting the m- most possible music recorded out of every second, you know, it's, and obviously with orchestras, there can be so expensive that you kind of have to, Yeah. but to do those things helps, you know, get yeah. better performances out of everyone for sure. When you're prepared, yeah. you know, everybody has to yeah. be prepared. So I do a lot of, um, you know, score coordination, right? So, so a client will come to me and whether it's a thousand dollars or hundred thousand dollars. Like, where are we going to go? How are we going to do this? What right. are we going to do? How big's the band? What room are we going to be in? You know? Right. And it's all hiring the right people. So, you know, you, you just want to try and have, you don't want the conductor and orchestra up all night the night before, even though that it happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. you try not to make that happen. <laughs> and, you know, and there's plenty of space. Everything is set up. Every contingency is met. So when they sit down, it's just musical. Yeah. All the technical stuff, it's a separation mm. of church and state, as it were. Absolutely. So all the technical <laughs> stuff is done, you right. know, and you just have, again, you have to rely on your assistants, you know, that's why they're yeah. super important to me because, mm. I, you know, we don't, I don't know every inner 
I don't know, every console in the world, you know? Yeah. It's like, I was never taught. <laughs> Nobody ever told me the right way to do things. Right, right. Awesome. <laughs> but you just, you know what I mean? You just, you, it's a separation between technical and musical. Right. And so when they, you know, when the conductor hits the podium and the, and the orchestra sits down, it's a musical experience. Yes. Right? Right. Everything yes. is dialed in. Every contingency is met. And you just mm -hmm. hope that everything's, you know, you have fail safes and you have backups right. and you have... Right. You know. And that's actually one of the things that's different as well is, you know, in an orchestral session, if it's a, you know, 10 a.m. start time, that means you hit record at 10 a.m. Oh, you dude. know, like there's, you know, it's obviously when you're with, your, with a band or an artist or something, yeah. you come in at 10 a.m. and start setting up and dick around with sounds and no, no, spend no. three hours, you know, messing around. Like, no, the session's over in three hours. Well, you're getting sounds while they're walking in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you've hit record you've done record tests while yeah. they're walking in and yeah. you're you're getting sounds with a trumpet player's going tow, 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 in the back of the room and right. you're like okay what mics are sounding good and you know i put up a lot of <laughs> yeah <laughs> i put up a lot of mics in a room but i don't use them all right you know right. uh because you never know what corner of the room whether i just i've had you don't, you don't have time to move mics around and experiment and do all that again Right. For that same reason. Exactly. You know, I don't, I, I do the experiment beforehand, which is sometimes without a net. <laughs> right. You know, right. because I'll set an orchestra up in a way that they've never been set up before in certain rooms and mm -hmm. certain scoring stages. You know, there's, yeah. there's this famous scoring stage in town that has a shell, but okay. it was like in the 1950s and no one uses the shell anymore. It's full of equipment. Right. So I'm like, what if there's a shell in there? It was like a Hollywood Bull shell in there. Like, huh. why don't we use that? Pull it off. So, you know, and there was like, and right. my orchestra setup is just very, un, a little unconventional. I don't mm. want to say very unconventional, but mm. it just makes sense to me, right. you know? Right. And sometimes that's the hard part because if you sit down, you're like, okay, I'm trying something brand new <laughs> and I hope it goes okay. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I hope. But that's just, you have to do that, you know, to yeah. me, you know, to create your own sound and your own voice and, mm -hmm. you know, and, and right. produce your, you know. Right. And... Can you share a specific instance where you had to deal with a challenging situation during a recording session? Oh my god! <laughs> oh I mean, my god! There's like one of many. <laughs> oh god! <sighs> yeah, I was early on in my career. This is the best. This is okay. well. First of all, I've been aligned the tape machine. I was in my early twenties in that mm. first job I was talking about. Right. I'm sitting aligning the tape machine, yeah. and I go to hit stop. <laughs> what? The first track's gone. Oh, Jesus. Like, I've done stuff like that. Like, oh you know, God. I'm 20, 22 years old. I have no business doing what I'm doing. Right. And the band just recut the first track because they did. They planned to do that anyways. It was just right. an outtake. Right. Oh, jeez. But, you know what I mean? So, yeah. And then I think that as far as orchestra scoring, I did a lot of, um, we went, we, I had a company once where we did this remote recording. We were went in churches Okay. Big marble rooms, cathedrals mm -hmm. all around Southern California. And I would build a scoring stage. Wow. And we would come in and I had a whole mobile... I have part of my mobile rig now okay. still. Nice. But I would come in and i build a mobile rig and then we put a symphony in there. Like complete infrastructure. It's a church. Right. With pews, like the thing. Like <laughs> right. how are we going to do it? But there's usually these wonderful acoustics and it's hard to find places right. that were um, not on a street. Like not okay. yeah, yeah. And we would go into these wild places, and you know, hmm. I think the gnarliest one was, and it's very still very expensive because we're paying everybody lots of money. Right. And uh, you know, my client comes in and says, "Hey, I want to do one more track," and he has a little thumb drive, and he mm -hmm. we pop it in the machine, and the rig 
blows up for an hour. <laughs> the same thing, an like hour. harking back to Jeez. harking back to the very beginning of right. Tools. The rig crashed. I had an entire eighty-piece orchestra sitting there for an hour because we couldn't even the backup. The whole system just wow. exploded five minutes before downbeat. Jeez, like it just. But yeah. again, when you're, you know, the thing is, you learn from these experiences and yeah. you learn how not to do them anymore, mm-hmm. and you have fail safes now. You know, right. in the past 10, 15 years, I'm talking about stuff that happened in my 20s. Right, right. But yeah. these are things that you have fail safes that actually, you know, you create safety and, and mm-hmm. the, you're, you're trusted to be able to produce these sessions and you're trusted right. to get them happening and Absolutely. have backups. And Absolutely. So, nice. So. <laughs> and how does the communication work between you and the composer and the sessions? How does mm-hmm. that, how do you maximize that? Uh, the well, usually for the past number of years, I'm sort of hired as a producer role, okay. more of a producer role, right? Maybe, yeah, at least ten years now, mm-hmm. and so I'm I'm privy. So there's two different genres that I work in now: films mm-hmm. and trailers, right? So that's can, a different genre. It actually is. <laughs> it's done very different yeah. ways. No, I know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but in, in films, it's very, and I've talked about this before, it's very, um, you know, it's, it's a long path. You're just there just to serve the film. And right. You're just there to kind of like, just make sure it's a musical experience and not a technical experience. Right. You have to be able to maintain and, and elaborate on any, any contingency that has to happen. Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to do anything quickly when you're doing a movie. The director may just want, you know, I've had directors saying that, you know, he prefer, inst, on the session with, you know, like at Sony or something with mm-hmm. 60 or 80 musicians, he's like, I kind of like the sound of the samples sometimes. Like, right. It's just like wild. Right. You never know. Yeah. He just, because the samples are do their own thing. Which, yeah. you know, um, But the communication between the composer, again, it's all very thought out ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you're there to serve it when you're doing movies. With right. trailers, I'm usually there. Um, beforehand mm-hmm. and suggesting the size of the band, I have communication, especially if I'm producing the record, right. that uh, you know I'll work with the composer as far as um, you know getting his tracks, the correct arrangement. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll hire an orchestrator, we'll do all this, find you know again where where in the world were we going to go? Right. And um, you know, so I'm very in tune with the process, and he, I'm just like you know, right. and I run the sessions, and I you know, and I'm just very close to the composer trying to get his vision you know to fruition right right you know and that's my job right to get his he he wrote it but it's just my job to go i know what you want right so we're gonna watch the you know right and you talked about it a little bit already but you know when you're producing like that Mm -hmm. you know obviously it's a much more involved role um what are some of the things you do even in mixing that would vary versus a project where you're just hired as the engineer Oh man, um, uh, that's a hell of a question, and I have a very specific answer. Okay. <laughs> uh, when I'm producing a session, like a lot of times, you know, especially in the past couple, two, three years, for obvious reasons, uh, you know, there's been a lot of remote recording. Right. And you know, I've been to you know London and recorded Abbey Road. I, I don't know six, eight, ten times. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, Prague. We went to Berlin earlier this year. Um, you know, I travel around to different rooms and um when i'm there and i'm able to produce the sessions because the composers these days are using samples that are unnaturally played like you can't 
orchestras can't actually do right. what the composer's writing. Right. <laughs> um, but that's the sound that they're going for. I'm right. specifically talking sort of trailer producing. Okay. Yeah. So, for instance, like you'll ha- they'll play these really brassy, unnatural. Mm-hmm. I call it quadruple forte. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> unnatural um, brass patches. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll play that for the section because if they're just going, raw, 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 right. it just, it can't blend with what yeah, they have. It's, it's not yeah. going to give the attent- intensity. Mm-hmm. So I'll play it for them. We're like, that, we can't play that. I'm like, I know you can't play that, but I'm going to give you a break in 10 minutes. I need you to, right. I need quadruple <laughs> four. I need you to give me everything you can, brassy right. as you can. Mm-hmm. And then we'll, we'll take a break. And, you know, as soon as I play them, they just kind of like, Right, and, you know, and they'll dig <laughs> yeah. in. But if you, exactly. if I'm not producing the sessions, usually everything is at like a lower dynamic because right. it's hard. It's yeah. like these guys are really the best. Some of the I get mm-hmm. the ability to work with some of the best guys in the world, you right. know. And it's hard, man. It's demanding, like doing trailer mm-hmm. scoring, especially when you're doing like an overdub session with right. brass or something like that. Right. Like, rah, rah, rah. You have to give them breaks. Yeah, you know, because Absolutely. they're just it's just so demanding. Absolutely. So. I just want to take a quick break and tell you about my free guide for creating massive snare sounds. In it, I go over all my techniques, from drum choices, tuning, microphone placements, even mixing techniques. Check it out now at brendandecora.com slash huge snare. And now, back to the show. What do you do to ensure that a composer's uh, vision is accurately captured and interpreted by the musicians? That same... Similar. Basically, yeah. that's the same question right. because they're writing with very brassy samples. Right. And if the orchestra is just playing it languidly and the attacks are slow and all, all the attacks, especially in that genre, mm-hmm. it's about sort of like, bah, you know, yeah. like uh, digging right. in. Right. And, and they write writing like that. And if they don't perform it like that, then you have to use too many samples. Right. Because it has to compete, mm-hmm. you know? Of course. So, and we don't like to do that because if you're going to spend the money and the time and the yeah. resources, the orchestra, and I think that that's the thing that a lot of people, you know, we're not there to do underscore. We're there to compete right. in a, an incredibly um, dynamic and competitive environment. Mm-hmm. So the orchestra, you know, it, to me, it's important as a producer to just give them, design the workflow mm-hmm. where it gives them so much room and so much breaks, but we're going to ask a lot of them. Does that make sense? Right, yeah. right. And you've already said you're, you know, you have the luxury of working with some of the best musicians. Um, but in those times when you have to work with less experienced musicians, mm-hmm. how does your approach differ? The approach is for starting with orchestration and start with writing. Okay. So when I'm producing a record that is, for instance, you know, you have to be careful. I'm not going to use any names. Yeah, or places yeah, in the yeah. world. <laughs> Not names, but places, right. you know. Um, some orchestras do very well in certain areas. Some orchestras don't mm-hmm. in, around the world. Okay. Okay. Huh. And if you... I've been in situations where very difficult music is being written. Right. Very, you know, polyrhythmic, difficult music mm-hmm. is being written, especially rhythmically. And you'll go to a, another country to do it. And they simply can't play it. <laughs> right. <laughs> they simply cannot play it. And you can waste a half an hour trying to get them to play it. Right. And it's so each time you have to go, well, for that, let's do 
you know, long strings in this environment right. and let's go here in the world. Oh, wow. And, but the brass is brassy and we're not going to be able to do that there. Huh. So let's go over here and do the brass here. Okay. Sometimes we do that. So sometimes we like, things. sometimes we go, it's not necessary to do strings. We just need brass for this thing. Okay. Or, but the thing is, is that if you're going to do very rhythmically complex and demanding music from mm -hmm. a trailer standpoint, there's not that it's under five places in the world. Yeah. To me. Huh. You know, that's crazy. Yeah. That's interesting. You do, you know, essentially like what a lot of people do with records where they'll do an overdub session yeah. and do bits and pieces here and there. I've never you even. You find where the strengths are. Yeah. You find where the strengths are. What or And I just. Right. Just done so much of it for so many years that I just, I know what the strengths are of each room and each right. orchestra. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you want things small, you know, you have to be careful because, you know, you can go to a gigantic room, mm -hmm. you know, or gigantic hall or church right. anywhere in the world, but the sound's just too big. And mm -hmm. then sometimes you want that big sound and you right. don't want to go to a more scoring stage. You want more of a church sound. So right. we just, <laughs> you know, we find out what the project needs mm -hmm. and you serve the music of the composer, which harks, harks back to your original. Right. You know, yeah. I think that that's just... That's interesting. Nice. And when mixing, how do you use your mixes to enhance the emotional impact or a of a film score or trailer and subsequently to inspire the composer and musician? Just such good questions, man. <laughs> <laughs> You're such good questions. I appreciate you. I appreciate these questions. Uh, um, well, I, you know, I've said it before. I, uh, I, I have this you know, sentence, loud or off. So there's the, that one thing, um, you know, something should either be well represented mm. or it's not really necessary. And then the other thing is having, when I'm mixing, uh, you know, emotion, energy, or power, you right. know, so if you're conflicting ideas and emotional ideas like that, I've said this in other, right. in, you know, panels and such that I've been fortunate mm. to be on, but it it really is a thing because when you look at it, you're like, well, what what do I want to hear? What do I want the listener to hear? Mm -hmm. And you take that, you push that way out front. Right. Everything else is just it's like pop music, same thing. Yeah. That's what they do same all day. Thing, yeah. That's what they do all day. Exactly. That's why they have like, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it's the same thing. I just have a gigantic palette to work with. Right. You know, some you know sessions aren't as big as some, but you know. Yeah. Four yeah. or five, six hundred track wide sessions that are, right. you know, these gigantic <laughs> things, and and sometimes you want to have things really close and mm. really be that emotion of energy. Right. That's why I put so many mics in a room. Okay. Sometimes you really want to pull right. things up. Sometimes you want them pushed back you and you want something else to be pulled point. up. Wow. That's, that's cool. how you enhance the emotional impact of the listener. Right. Is you sh you're taking the listener on a journey. Right. I'm sorry to get. Too yeah, philosophical. No, I, yeah, when you sit, you're, you're just sit staring at it. <laughs> but it is. Has to, it, I think with the, you know the guys, you know these smart, and very talented people that I've talked about. They talk philosophically about these things because yeah. it really isn't all about the compressors that you're using or the types of gear you have or don't have. Yeah, it's it's the it's the um, aesthetic that you have and mm -hmm. what emotionally you're trying to show the audience. Of course, that's I don't know. Yeah. No, we have I, to think like that, I otherwise... Agree. Yeah. We well, that's what being an engineer is, is the blend between technical and artistic. That's literally the definition, you know? And so it's it's yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Um, can you provide an example of a time when your mix influences the composer's creative decisions? Creative decisions moving forward? Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I think that that happens because uh, I, I look at things most, at least, let's just talk in the trailer genre, yeah. I would probably say. The, they will, you know, they'll give me a reference mix. I'll listen to it once mm-hmm. and just to see what their intent was. And then we'll create something different. And when we create something different, I've had many composers tell me that when they work with me again, mm-hmm. they've actually, I'm just about to do a record next month, that the composer says that he actually prepared all the stems and prepared the session because he knew I was going to mix it. Right. So he doesn't need to focus too many things because he knows that I'll just probably <laughs> replace it anyways. <laughs> you know, right. I'll just replace stuff and I'll just do, mm-hmm. th- he just, they, they do, they change their workflow right. because it's very different. Most of the people mix themselves, mm-hmm. but when you have somebody that's looking at it differently, it, you right. prepare things differently and you write differently. Yeah. It's like it's the same thing back recording. Mm-hmm. If they're going to be, if they know they're going to go to a certain place, they'll write differently. Right. If you're going to, you know. That's if they true. know like that orchestra is going to be, you know, they're going better, 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 better. Right, it's just right. that orchestra is not going to be able to play that. So we yeah. might use the sample and have the orchestra do these long, beautiful things mm-hmm. in a gigantic concert hall and it let it just splash right. everywhere. Right. But we don't have to bother with all the time of that. Exactly. It's the same thing. Composers will learn that. And they, I've had composers tell me that they, they prepare things because. I'm just going to start over. I put all the faders <laughs> down. I'm not going to try and do your demo. Right. Because you can do your demo and your demo sounds great. Right. So we're yeah. just going to try and do like not emotion, not be emotionally attached to, mm-hmm. you know, not be emotionally attached to these certain things. Right. Even though you spent three days on them. Yeah. Like they may not be the coolest thing. That other thing you spent <laughs> three minutes on is the coolest thing. We'll right. bring that forward. Right. That's awesome. You can convince people not to get demoitis. <laughs> <laughs> It's really important. Yeah, like these, it's you true. know, especially the more talented the composers. I, that's why I don't send them any mixes. I never send mixes first Wait, before they hear it. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. I do. I'll, I'll do. You know, on the audio movers. Right. Right. And I'll do it live because I want to. Oh, okay. Nice. I want to see their original. Right. Feeling about it. Yeah, yeah. I will almost never, unless very seldom. I. I know. I'm even though I still don't do it. Right. Someone has to know me really well, but I will. Because I'm just tearing it apart. I'm not giving them back their demo that they could have spent three weeks on. I don't right. know. But it's right. very different, man. Right. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I have to make sure that I didn't completely fuck them over. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, and I don't. They, it, you know, they kind of enjoy it most all the time. Right. But it's just so different that I have to make sure that I'm not offending them. Of course. Of course. Because, you know, yeah. I don't want to... F- these are people that you've worked with, too, so... They know what to expect. They know. And the know, first time is the scariest. Like, I've never worked yes. with anybody before because I'm like, don't be mad. This is going to be very different. Right. And I added some stuff. Right. But it's, <laughs> you just tell me what you want. We can put it back. We can do anything you right. want. But this is what my interpretation and right. my vision of what I think this piece should be mm-hmm. so it can be yeah. accepted right. easier in different genres. And awesome. Awesome. Um, and this next question kind of is similar to what we were just talking about, but has there been any unexpected moments in your career that turned out to be wonderfully in- influential on a score or a performance? Yeah, the first time I, uh, uh, 
the first time I remember being back in the Universal Studios, this was one of the most influential things. Mm-hmm. There, um, room full of producers, 80 musicians. I'm probably 23, 24 years okay. old. I mean, a kid. <laughs> it's like, right. And I'm the mixer in the seat. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm there three hours ahead of time. There's a reason why this is the most influential. Mm-hmm. I'm there three hours, at least three hours at a time. Right. And I get everything totally straight. And and I, I started to talk about these stories early because I don't, I don't ever get no, to talk about these early yeah, stories yeah. that much. Do you know what I mean? Of course. <laughs> um, it's just fun to sort of... Right. And um, the orchestra starts to play and, you know, I'm brand new at this. And the, and the composer looks at me and he's like, this sounds terrible. What have you done? <laughs> Shit. And I'm like, so I go up and down the, con- the analog console, you know, right. every ch- again, 80 piece orchestra out there, room <laughs> full of producers and directors oh, and artists, like room, control room, <laughs> gigantically full. Right. And I'm just this 22, 23 year old kid. I'm like, <laughs> oh, and I go on, I change a bunch of things. I go up and down the console and they play the fanfare again, the opening cue. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't know what to tell you. This sounds terrible. <laughs> like, what have you done? And, you know, and the blood starts to drain. <laughs> and so, I, again, same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I run out to see if there's some microphones laying on the ground because it's like, <laughs> right. it sounds perfectly fine to me. <laughs> you know, like, and I go out there and I look at the brass players and I come in and I, and I say, so you wear the entire brass section has mutes in, don't you? And he goes... Mutes? What? what? So everybody, so it's this big, <laughs> rum, ba, da, da, ba, da, 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 and everybody's going, <laughs> how that is the most influence. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so once they pull all the mutes out, it just was like. Right. There but it is. <laughs> again, I think that what, and the greatest influence is that you just, as, as a mixer and as a producer, you have to be both respectful and if you're, you have to be nice and respectful to your crew and to everybody. Yeah. But if you're too nice and you're too lackadaisical, mm-hmm. you have to watch every contingency. Right. From the studios, from the, the, the gear, mm-hmm. you know, I've showed up to do a film mix and they were running, a, a hookah pipe was going for two, <laughs> two months in the room and nothing, the console didn't work. <laughs> Um, you know, these are just endless stories right. of just these things where you've just had this stuff happen to you. And mm-hmm. over the past 10, 15 years, you've just learned to like go, okay, we're going to do it this way. We're going to do that. We're going to be here. Make right. sure that happens. We're going to have enough time to do that. Mm-hmm. This is, these are the mics we're going to do. We're not going to use all of that. We're going to make it simple because it's going to work every time. We're not right. going to waste 10 seconds, like you say, on that downbeat at 10 right. a.m. Yeah. It's going to work perfectly, and that's why you're hiring me to do it. Right. So you have to, no matter if it's the musicians, the orchestrators, you know, the conductor, you have to tell them your workflow, that this is mm-hmm. a tried and true workflow. This is going to get everything done. We're going to be on schedule. Everybody's going to be happy. Right. And that's what my kind of my job is, yeah, you know, as definitely. at least as a producer, right, producer sure. role, producer mixer role, for you sure. know, you have to make sure everybody's happy. Right. So there, it's influential because you can get really nailed by people. Mm-hmm. If you're not really, if you don't have the right crew around you, yeah. you really get in trouble. And then it makes you look bad and then it makes your client look bad. Right. And then your client spends a lot of money trying to fix blah, 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 X, right. Y, Z. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
It's crazy. So that was pretty influential to me. Right. Nice. You just really got to be careful. And in the same respect, too, because a lot of times I'm trying something new that's never been done before, and mm-hmm. it's without a net. Right. <laughs> exactly. So I have to be able to like, okay, well, if that doesn't work, <laughs> how do I go back to what I know works? Right. But each time I develop, and I'll take one little thing, like a comedian will take like one little thing mm-hmm. and like, oh, that worked great. Let's do that and that one. And then it's just do mm-hmm. it. So you do it differently and you right. grow and you grow your own way to do things in your own. Of course. You know, Course. And when you take it to the mix, it's exactly how you know it needs to be. And it's right. lined up that way. And you have all the mics in a you know gigantic room or small room. Yeah. You can still have 50 mics in a small mic. room. <laughs> you, can have, you can have 20 <laughs> mics in a small room, but you only need two of them. You just right. have to mic the room in a certain way. Right. Just for every contingency. Yeah. In different places that haven't been recorded before, you know, mm. uh, there's this one famous early 18th century concert hall where I just put mics like up in the, behind the orchestra and right, then way, right. way out, 100 feet away, mm-hmm. 50 feet in the air, you know, it's just, yeah. and those things sound differently. So you blend and you pull those things, right, you know? Right, right. Natural, natural reverb is a thing. Absolutely. It's Absolutely. really a thing, like having yeah. gigantic rooms, the ability to record in gigantic rooms, mm-hmm. you know, it has a dynamic to it, you know? Right, just gives you different different colors to paint with. You know? Yeah, and you can't just you can have different reverbs, but it's just yeah. it's it's different because the the harmonics react. To, that's why I put so many mics up, right? Because sure. you never know if they're playing something really small, but it's a gigantic project. This it's the same thing that we've been talking about. Yeah, when you nothing is technical because I've prepared for anything. Right. If I if compose if if in the post production, the composer wants I want really tight sound. I, sure, just grab those mics right <laughs> you know it's just so close sounding i really want it like really yeah. broad and mm-hmm. fast okay i'm gonna put those mics that are 100 feet away up. <laughs> right. you know yeah and so you have all those at exactly. your fingertips when you're doing the post-production right that's awesome mm-hmm. um is there any uh current or recent projects that you want to talk about that you're that you can yeah, talk sure. about um well i have um i just finished uh, we went to abbey road um and uh recorded big orchestra at abbey road mm-hmm. i just finished that last week we did 31 pieces trailer music um and that was really wonderful because it's just it's just a fantastic orchestra uh, i have i started a year or so ago i started my own trailer music company okay and uh, it's called fight or flight music mm-hmm. and i'm working on the sixth record now okay um doing the producing and, and, you know, we have some really talented composers, mm-hmm. but having been in the trailer, you know, genre for so long, work so it just made sense to start my own company. Right. You know, I have a partner and started my own company, but, you know, we're doing it together and mm-hmm. um, it's really fulfilling, you nice. know, it's a very different tool set. Right. When you're not answering to somebody, you're not working for somebody, you know, you can do things like I can, I can mix it any way I want. I don't have to check right. it with anybody. Yeah. I'm checking it with me. Exactly right. me. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so, awesome. yeah. And, um, yeah. Cool. And we, you know, I, I, there's other projects that are coming up. We're going to record in different places in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, in Vienna, we're going to record um, maybe one more Abbey Road session um, coming up this year. Cool. So, nice. yeah, I just get to, uh, psyched. I get to do a lot of different things. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. So, mm-hmm. Uh, I like to wrap up each podcast with the same couple questions, same few questions. Yeah, man. Um, first one is, who is your most influential teacher? Sean Murphy. 
That okay. was the first person that comes to mind. Okay. Because in my early days when I didn't know anything like I've talked about, right. Sean was doing like, I think what was the score, like Apollo 13 or something. Like, right. Do you know what I mean? He was just like a master, you know? Mm-hmm. I've never, I don't even think I've met him. Oh, really? I maybe met him once or okay. something. I know you, you yeah. have, I'm sure. I maybe met him once, mm-hmm. but he just was like just a master, you know? He was just well-respected. He was right. just a, a master. Um, I think that uh, Rick Hart, probably, who, mm-hmm. was, who was an engineer who did uh, Pink Floyd The Wall, he was the first one that said, hey, come over here and let's work at this studio now. And I was, you right. know, and, and we started working at mm. a studio many years ago called Producer Workshop. And yeah. he just, he's still a close friend of mine. And, you know, there's just been a, you could almost take these three people like Rick Hart, um, Michael Honig, J. Peter Robinson, um, those three guys, we did a project together and literally you could draw a line from those people to mm-hmm. every person that I've ever worked with in my entire <laughs> career. Right. You know what I mean? Because there's like that job went from here to there to yeah. there to there to there. And it just kind of goes and goes and yeah. goes and you just do different. Awesome. Literally, you can draw that. So right. I think those people are just probably the most nice. influential. Nice. Yeah. Um Next question is, what is your favorite reference track? If you have to go to a new studio, learn the room, listen to the speakers, what do you put on? (laughs) I I knew you were going to ask that question. (laughs) It could be a few. It's okay. I I don't do that. You don't do that? I don't do that. Really? No, I don't do that. Huh. Um. I'm going to squirm in my seat a little bit. Um, <laughs> well, then what is a track you put on to be inspired in that case? I don't. You don't? No. Never? Huh. No. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry, dude. Uh, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Okay. Because almost every single job I do, I'm doing things differently. Okay. And when you've been doing it long enough, you know, it's just... And I have had the ability to work in these rooms multiple times at right. this juncture. Right. And even if I haven't, I know what these different aspects are going to sound like. Mm-hmm. So it does come from the performance. So I don't really listen to anything. Um, I Because I have had the ability to create kind of a my own voice, mm-hmm. as it were. Yeah. I might... God, that's going to sound... I listen to mine. You listen to yours? I listen to mine, yeah. No, that's fine. A lot yeah, of people do that. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, dude. No, that's I, fine. I would like to say that I listen to this and this, but yeah. sometimes, occasionally, like, you know, I just did this Abbey Road project. We did one five years ago that was a similar type of project. Mm-hmm. I just called up those mixes, like, hmm, what'd that sound like? And right. then because five years have gone by and, and that knowledge and that right. experience is, you know, we're able to go, oh, that was that, now let's do this. Right. So it's, you're never... Because I'm doing things differently each project mm-hmm. or each movie or each trailer record, yeah. I'm trying never to go backwards. I'm actually trying to always go forward. So I'm never trying to match anything. Yeah. I'm always just thinking new. What's right. how am I going to make this better than that? Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. I hope that doesn't sound like no. Absolutely. I mean, a, tool. a a lot of people use their own material because you're more intimately familiar with it than anything else. Yeah. And that's I really love that concept of you're not trying to do the same thing. You're always looking for fresh ideas, keeping things new. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's just always, Absolutely. it always has to be new. You always yeah. got to create things. I mean, that's how you stay viable. You know, Absolutely. you have to constantly readapt, yeah. retool, recreate. And you don't get bored with your job and you don't fall into 
you know, the, the, the monotony of the same thing over and over again, yeah. you know, it yeah. keeps you inspired, keeps you fresh. You For know? real. Yeah. 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 So, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, last question. What would be one tidbit you have for an upcoming engineer? It's the greatest question of all, right? <laughs> uh, to grab any kind of gear you can, any kind of laptop you can, mm-hmm. find any band you can, find any artist you can, and start doing what you want to do. Yeah. Um, never, um, I should say never, all. <laughs> always in the positive, uh, you know, always try and adapt and, uh, to new things and challenges. Mm-hmm. Always. You have to, like, it's really competitive yeah. to do this. As you know, it's really competitive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, you learn from every single thing that you do. So you might as well start doing it right away. Right. Grab any band, go to any club, go to any rehearsal room, mm-hmm. throw up some mics, get a singer, Get a beat, whatever it is, yeah. if you're going to do that for, you know, young guys. Because most, I don't even know if there's actual young engineers coming up. I don't even know that's not a thing. I don't <laughs> of know. course there is. <laughs> I would think they're more producers. Yeah, you know, it depends like, on the genre. But yeah, yeah. there's always yeah. always people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> the very first guy, I was at a club. I'm 17 years old, and I remember looking up at the guy who was wrapping cables mm-hmm. and i'm like i want to do what you do and then he took me we did these big festivals he's like okay come on 17 year old kid he's like we did this gigantic festival right. and um, one of the first things he said do your parents want you to do this for a living <laughs> <laughs> are you sure your parents want you to do this for <laughs> a living <laughs> it's totally true that's, that's totally awesome. true. jeff kolar i'll never nice. forget it you know but again it's fun to sort of hark back to right. some of these events but yeah man just um, say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. You don't want to mess people up. Right. You don't want to say yes and really tank somebody's project. Right. Well, but, it sounds like you did that. I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hmm. <laughs> A few times. <laughs> no, I, well, I didn't, I never even, I never really got over my head. Did right. I do great work? No. Right. But I never really got over my head because I did enough pre-work. Like if I took something, I would like cram and like find out answers. Of course. You know? Yeah. Um, and then a lot of the things back when the days when I was starting, a lot of these things were technical glitches. Right. Because there were so many things technically mm-hmm. that could go wrong. Like yeah. it wasn't, if you had links and locking up 24 tracks right. and it was like, oh my God, dude. So much <laughs> of it wasn't like a mixer thing, like you yeah. tank somebody's project. Right. It was more like that studio doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> That's terrible maintenance. Where's the maintenance guy? He's, you know, right. he's like sleeping in the basement. <laughs> or, you know, he's like, he's not here at all. Right. Where's the maintenance? Everything's falling apart. Like those types of things. Yeah. But saying yes to a job and showing up and being professional, mm-hmm. you know, and just not being scared of anything. I think that would be the best advice that I would awesome. just go for it, man. Yeah. Awesome. Go for it. Well, thank you so much for, for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank awesome. you, Brendan. Thanks for having me. Cool. Thanks so much for checking out the show. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review or comment. I'll see you next week.